Sobers is a street fighter, came out of the Wick Clinton High School in New York City, where he did not play high school basketball. In fact, Louis Chappelle of the New Jersey Nets was responsible for getting him to go to uh, Southern, Idaho. Southern Idaho, and that was through the uh, recommendation of Tiny Archibald. And Ricky Sobers out of the Wick Clinton High School in New York fires it in. And rookie Ricky Sobers with control down the middle. What's up, everybody? Not my house is in the house. This is your host, Eric, and as always, right next to me is my co-host, Zach. Zach, what's going on this morning, my friend? It's an honor today. We got the super sub in the house today. We got a legend, and I just can't wait to learn more from him because he played my favorite era of basketball. I love learning about this era. Absolutely. He's a UNLV legend who went on to be the 16th pick of the 1975 NBA draft. He had a great NBA career, and he played in the famous greatest game ever played. Honored to have him today on the show, Mr. Ricky Sobers. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing excellent, man. I woke up this morning. Hey, man, on that one, right? First good sign. <laughs> it's only up from here, right? <laughs> so we always like to get to know a little bit about our guests before we start talking hoops. Um, looks like you grew up in the Bronx. Is that correct? Grew up in the South Bronx. Um, I grew up five blocks from Yankee Stadium. Oh, nice. I used to sneak in when I was a kid to see the Mick and Maris. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah. I, I I seen plenty of games in Yankee Stadium when I was a kid, too. I grew up in, in Jersey. My dad grew up in Brooklyn. So. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. You probably flew right by the same uh, usher. <laughs> yeah yeah my 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 uh my era was uh was reggie jackson and bucky dent and uh willie randolph that era of yankee yankee baseball so yeah absolutely oh yeah absolutely um so what was your childhood like growing up besides sneaking into yankee games were you a little league baseball player first or was basketball the first uh, sport you played i i they had Little League, but I, I never played organized baseball or organized football. Those two sports were all all sandlot, what they call sandlot back in those days. Yep. Okay? Yep. You just basically, you know, play for fun. You know, kids get together and stuff, man. And you say, I'm the quarterback, man. You're the wide receiver, man. You know, you're blocking, what have you, man. Go out there and stuff, man. Run a fly pad and I'll get it to you. 
right? And you, yep. You so picking, no, you're picking guys, right? You're picking guys. Yeah, when you're... <laughs> yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it was all fun. I, I, I got into basketball, you know, actually, uh, I have an older brother. He's five years older than me. And my family were uh, members of a community group. Uh, by, I'll give them a plug. I don't know if they're still in existence. I think they are, but they're called Minisync. And it was a, a, a community group that, that um, provided um, like fresh air camp settings for kids. So, you know, so when school was out and you needed to get off the streets and stuff, man, and, and go and do something and, 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 and you know, group wise and organized from that sense, they had a drum and bugle corps and all this kind of stuff. All oh, wow. Activities. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. They took age groups as, as, as early as um, I think seven years old, all the way up to 18, 19. And it was all done on a, on, on a theme of, of uh, Native American heritage. So, you know, I, my older brother, you know, was five years older than me. I was in Wahahi you know, group, you know, which was the 13-year-olds, and he was in the 18-year-olds, and they would call, you know, Mahahi or whatever it was and stuff, you know. And it, it really was a very beautiful thing. Sad to say it's no longer in existence, like many things that were great. But for kids of my era, it was fantastic for the parents to be able to drop them off. They'd go away for two weeks. You know, the parents would go away on their vacation and the kids would go on their vacations, you know, and, and get an opportunity to, um, to fraternize with all the various age groups because we all ate together. And I'm talking about hordes of, of, hordes of people, hordes of kids, hordes of seven-year-olds, hordes of 18-year-olds, and then the, it, to feed people for breakfast, it probably took two hours, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it was really amazing. But the bottom line is, what I'm getting at is, uh, my brother was, was uh, uh, an active member, and um, he liked the girls, and so, so the girls were very pretty and stuff in, in these things. They, they, they had they had women's groups in it and stuff. So he'd sneak off, you know, I was too young, you know, I was too stupid and goofy and what have you, so, so I had no interest. And uh, so anyway, he bumped into a guy that was a retired policeman, and this is a very, very interesting story, so bear with me. Right. So so uh, so he introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Mr. Gardner Page. Mr. Gardner Page was a retired policeman. OK, now I was terrible. OK, I don't know if you recall uh, uh, Jamal Wilkes. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Now, now, now have a vision of Jamal Wilkes's jump shot. Right. He had the ugliest jump shot that went in, okay, ever. He wrapped it around his head and stuff, and, you know, and he had this, you know, it was not textbook, okay? My shot at that time, when Mr. When Mr. Pays got a hold of me, made, made uh, Jamal Wolf's shot look pretty, okay? Wow. 
And and so Mr. Page, you know, he grabbed me, you know, he, he, you know, he, I mean, he was, you know, very, very smart man, tremendous person. I was, I was the luckiest kid on earth to be able to become his protege. Okay. And um, so he taught me the proper way to shoot. And I stuck with him probably two to three years. So from 11 years old, which is, which is uh, back then in those days, there was a large group called Biddy Basketball. Okay. B-I-D-D-Y. Okay. Big on the East Coast. They play the, the, the championship games in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. So, so, so anyway, I played for Mr. Page's team for this, uh, this um, uh, community group called Minisync. And, um, and I was on the 12 and under team. I stunk. Okay. I couldn't chew bubble gum and dribble. He taught it all to me, refined my game. And then that's when I found love in the game was through him and his tutelage. And God bless his soul. You know, the man lived to be 104 years old. Wow. This story goes deeper. Okay. Mr. Page, like I said, had me from 11 to 13. Okay. Now he refined a few things. Now I found love for it. Now I found love for the game. And I found love for him because he became a, a, a second father for me. All right. And he had a love of dogs and appreciation of art. And he taught me, you know, so, so much. Okay. So, so what happened was, um, I, at 13, I got love for the game. I'm feeling myself. I'm going out playing in more tournaments. I kind of removed myself from him because people are recognizing I got a little ability and I'm getting asked to play in various tournaments around the city. Okay. So I, I experiment. I'm going to play with whomever because I got the bug now. Right. And, and I want to play and I'm, you know, I'm kicking butt and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm getting attention, which all kids want at that time. You know, Hey, look at me. I'm good at yeah. something. And, and, uh, and so what happened was from 13 to 15, I came in contact with a gentleman by the name of Nate Tiny Archibald. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Tiny is my, is one of my great mentors. I started playing for his teams. Okay. In the South Bronx, we would, you know, they had ten, uh, citywide tournaments and stuff and all kinds of, you know, because basketball, you know, there's a, there's a court virtually everywhere in New York city. Okay. In the projects, in the parks, and, you know, you can go anywhere and get a game. Right. So, so, uh, so we, so with him, he had an all-star team, which was the equivalent to today's AAU programs. Okay. So we had the best of the best. And, and so from 13 to 15, I got my, myself to that level where I was able to play for 
the great Nate Archibald and be considered one of the best of the best in that age category. Okay. Yeah. So we running around, you know, we playing everywhere. We going, we, we had no fear. And this is at a time when, when, when teams and players did not want to go outside of, of their, their world. They didn't want to go, you know, I know teams that didn't want to go outside of the Bronx and play guys against Brooklyn or Manhattan or whatever. But our teams, we say, listen, we come in, you know, we come in looking for pelt. Okay. <laughs> We're hunting. Where's the best players at? We want to test you out. And we went and we destroyed people. Okay. Now that's 15 to 17. I'm with, I'm, I'm with, uh, you know, I'm with tiny and stuff, man. I mean, we great players and stuff, you know, so some guys, most guys you would not know because, you know, some of them did not aspire, obviously, professionally. Uh, they didn't transition, you know, and there's a lot to it there. But um, some guys did go to major college, okay? Um, we had a guy by the name of Victor Kelly who was 5'6", uh, went to the same junior college that I went to, College of Southern Idaho, which is one of the best junior colleges in the country. He was a year before me. If uh, if he could have got a break, instead of you know instead of Muggsy Bogues being the best guy under five foot six, Victor Kelly would I would I would take Victor Kelly over Muggsy Bogues or or, or, or Spud Webb any day of the week. Victor was a tremendous player. Yeah. So we played together one year in, in, in College of Southern Idaho, man. But back to you know thirteen to fifteen, you know, playing with Tiny. Tiny is, is grooming me. He's grooming everybody, but not just me. And, and so what happens is uh, now I'm entering high school. Okay. I'm entering high school. I go to a high school that's close to my, uh, to my home. Okay. I took, I could walk there, but I took the bus. Right. And uh, so what happened was, I wound up being uh, trying out for the, for the team, the varsity, and I wind up becoming the first player ever to make, as a freshman, to make the varsity team, okay? And even at that time, because the way basketball was set up, even in collegially, you know, you had a freshman team, then you had a junior varsity team, then you had the varsity. Okay, yeah. this school didn't do that because, you know, we, we, we I assume that it was because they didn't have the, the, uh, the abundance of talent. Okay, because it, it wasn't a division one school, it was a, what they call a division two school, AB. Okay, so, so anyway, I, I went to the school, you know, because it was close to home and most of my friends was there. And like I said, I was goofy and stuff. I'm a, I'm a follower, you know, and, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm following, you know, people, you know, a, a friend, my friends there and stuff and want to play with them on the varsity team and what have you. Okay. So I make the team. I got a nutty coach, which happens a lot in high school. Oh yeah. All the time. More, more high school coaches ruin basketball players or, 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 or other players 
because of their stupidity. Right. Okay. Because they don't know, you know, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So it sounds like you basically learned everything from your mentor and the blacktop game. I mean, that's what it sounds like. I'm, I'm, I'm the epitome of, of a, a street ball player. I, I, I don't care what anybody says. I'm probably, I will say that I'm probably in the top five yeah. street ball players in the country. You heard about Skip to my Lou and all oh, yeah. these other kids. I destroyed Skip to my Lou. Skip to my Lou couldn't even play with me. He couldn't even play with us. Yeah, and I got a quick question for you because yeah. you you talked about some of the guys that never made it, and there's two guys yeah. I really want to ask you specifically because they're pretty well-known in the 60s, but uh, the Earl Manigolds and the Joe Hammonds are some guys that I've heard a lot about, and I'm just curious if you ever got to go head-to-head with any of them and what were they like? No, never, never got a chance to play against them because they were closer to my brother's age. Gotcha. And so there was that age differential Plus, those guys were, they were Harlem guys. They were Manhattan guys. Okay? Yeah. Both great players. Both both became friends of mine as I advanced and, and started garnering my accolades. You know, great players, you know, started recognize, they recognized greatness. Yeah. And, 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 and pay respect to that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you another quick, funny story. Um I was doing during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing a Zoom call uh, uh, that began with childhood friends, but evolved into me inviting my childhood friends along with my former pro players. I brought them all in the mix. Okay. I have a very good friend by the name of Bobby Hunter, who's a former uh, 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 globetrotter. He knows everybody. Everybody knows Bobby. So I got Bobby on the call, right? We're on the Zoom call. And he says to me, uh, um, wait a minute, man. You know, I, I got to do something. So he disappears for a moment. I don't know what he's doing, but what he's doing is he's dialing his phone and he's calling up guys so they can get on the Zoom call. Oh, wow. One of the guys that he gets on the call is Joe Hammond. Oof. Now, I don't know Joe, but he knows him very well, right? So Joe Hammond gets on the call, right? I say, oh, snaps. <laughs> Joe Hammond, where you been all my life, baby? I've been looking for you, I've been looking for you for years because I heard you can play and I want some of you. <laughs> hey, we we've been looking for him too. We've been wanting to talk to him too. <laughs> we can uh, we can we can facilitate that. So Joe says, Joe says, he says to me, and he's he's such a sweet guy. He says, Well, Ricky, he says, I tell you, you know, um, I'm still around, man, and Bobby's got my number. <laughs> So, so, so he, he took the challenge, man. He said, even that I'm 69, he gotta be 70 plus. He still wants to go one-on-one. So I, I said, well, I got to bow down, Joe, cause you know, you're the best of the best. Man. I, I'd pay money to see that matchup right now. I would love <laughs> yeah. to see that. You well, know, I'll I tell got- you what, I ain't going to be shy. <laughs> I, I tell Joe, I said, Joe, I will lock you up because <laughs> this is what I do. 
Oh, man. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a defensive player. I made my bones in basketball, Garden, JoJo White, Paul Westfall, all the great players. Every team that I played on, my typically my backcourt mate didn't have the ability to play defense as I did. So right. what happened was I wound up playing two guys. I had to guard their man plus mine. Okay? Plus <laughs> That's a lot mine. of responsibility. And, and you know, I, I have to ask, because you talked about high school a little bit. For yes. my research, I thought you didn't play high school basketball, but it's sounds- getting ready. Let me finish that story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> what, what you wrote, what you wrote, what you wrote, I mean, what you what you just stated is what you read was accurate. Okay. Okay. I did I never played one minute of high school basketball. Okay, not okay. one. The story goes like this. I made the team, my you know, first freshman to make the team ever. I got a nutty coach. Okay? I don't know he's nutty, but he proved to be nutty real soon. Make the team. I'm walking one morning. I'm walking through the corridors of the school. At that time, you know, New York is the fashion capital. The hip thing, you know, for the kids to do is they had a, a special hat. It was a like a hat made a beaver it was be a beaver hat right it was like a kango cap right? right cool as can be right so i'm mr smoothie i got my hat on in school i walked by the coach he's coming you know we're going the opposite directions but we're passing by one another he looks at me he points to me he says you're off the team so wow i thought he was joking the coach off the team. What are you talking about? You wore your hat in school and you broke the rule. Wow. What are you talking about? It's a rule that he, no one ever told me. Okay. Not no one. So he puts me off the team. Okay. I'm devastated. In shock mad but not so mad where you know it's gonna destroy my enthusiasm for the game which happens like i said more high school coaches kill the spirit of high school players with their stupidity and their coaching methods it happens every day to this day so i'm off the team my saving grace is that New York is the mecca of basketball. I can go anywhere and play. We have a bazillion people in the city. Everybody's hooping. Tiny is, you know, running around and all his buddies. We got the guys from St. John's, the guy from all the different colleges who never rose to the level of of, of, of professional players but they're still playing actively at the community centers so we had a a, a community center that is, is is it is it should be a historical 
that should be dubbed a, a historical location. It's called PS18 on 147th Street and Morris Avenue in the South Bronx, right? So this is where everybody plays, man. Everybody's hooping. So, um, so, 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 um, so anyway, um, so uh, that's that's where everybody's honing their skills. And so all these older guys are coming in there. So what happened was because I, I couldn't play uh, for my high school team, I had to go, you know, play. I had to get that out of me. I would go and I was playing against when I was 15 years old, I was playing against men and pros. OK, I used to play against tiny every day, guard them all the time. OK, never ran from a challenge. OK, and so. um these guys were my, my trial period for really recognizing that I had the strength, the, the mental strength and the physical strength and the confidence to compete at a high level because they were kicking my butt every day. I'm talking six, eight. Guys, you know, 6'8", 260, 270, and they never let up a bit, man. The elbows, the knocking down, they, they'd see a tear in my eye, and they'd say, get up, rookie. What the hell are you doing? You, we, we, you, want, a, you want a napkin? Want a tissue? Huh? <laughs> you, you, know, you want a towel so you can, you know, dry them eyes? <laughs> man, they were murdered, but. They prepared me to go to the NBA because if you followed my career, I was a physical guard. Okay. Defensively, I would manhandle people. Okay. So anyway, back to back to that, that whole high school deal. Um, so my freshman year is gone, right? I'm playing outdoors, playing against the pros and men, what have you. Come back my sophomore year. I'm not shook. I'm not the spirit. I stayed at that school, gave the coach another opportunity, okay, to do the right thing, made the team as a sophomore. Then this idiot decides that we had a guy that was a 6'5 player in our center. He cut the guy. Oh, man. Okay, he cut him. I mean, this guy, I mean, oh, my. I'm going, I'm, when my book comes out, I'm going to tell the whole story and it's deep, but he cuts this guy who, who also happens to be a friend of mine and lives in the neighborhood. And I know that he's, he's our best chance to have a winning team. We have a real center, you know, and, and at the high school level, you got a six, five guy. Hey, he's a big man. Right. You know, you know, all of us are shrimps and stuff running around. Okay? <laughs> and, and so so he cut him. Soon as he cut him, I said, this coach is from hunger. OK, I, I, I got to get out of here. So I quit. OK, I go back to the streets and ball, go back to my guys. They continue to kick my butt. For another year, I getting I'm I'm getting I'm getting baptized, right? 
So then I transfer to a school by the name of DeWitt Clinton High School. Okay. Now, I got no guidance. I'm doing this all on my own. I'm winging it. Okay. Nobody's telling me, go to Oak Hill. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Yeah, that, that wasn't <laughs> happening. You know, I'm making all my decisions. Okay. So I decide that I'm going to transfer to DeWitt Clinton High School, the school I really wanted to go to. I don't know that, you know, I live outside of the zone. But for some reason, DeWitt Clinton didn't have a zoning rule. And it actually was farther than the school that I really wanted to go to, which was called Taft High School. Okay. So, um, so I wind up going to Clinton. Now, Stupid me, I think that I can just transfer and then go try out for the team and be a part of the program. I don't know that there's a thing that they call a transfer rule. Yeah. Right? There's a transfer rule. And typically, depending on what state you are in, the transfer rule always prohibits you from playing immediately. Yeah. You have to sit out, and in my case, I had to sit out half the season. Virtually, I shouldn't say that. It was virtually three-quarters of the season. Yeah, okay? I went through the same thing. I totally understand. I went through the same exact thing. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible, man. They said, do away with that rule. Yeah. So, So that's what happened. So my junior year is gone. Okay, so I missed my junior, I mean, my freshman, sophomore, now my junior. I don't get discouraged because New York is the Mecca. I got my boys, my guys. I'm getting baptized that junior year. I'm getting better and better and better without high school basketball. Okay, I got Tiny in my background, in my ear. I got Mr. Page, you know, calling me up every now and then. I'm, I'm playing against men. Yeah. Okay? So when I play against guys my my age, I'm destroying them. Okay. Physically, you know, they can't compete. So what happened was now come let's go to my senior year. I just I I I am. I'm a little wayward, academically. Okay, so I don't take care of business. I don't take care of business. So when I go to try out, I find out that I'm ineligible. Now, this is the irony of this whole story. Everybody knows I'm the best player in the school, maybe, maybe top five in the city, okay? Top five in the city. And I'll, I'm going to throw some names at you in a minute. Yeah. Okay? So my senior year, I'm ineligible, but we got a decent team at Clinton. Matter of fact, my senior year, Clinton wins the 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 P 
PSAL, Public School Athletic League Championship, which really is the city championship, which really is the state championship. Yeah. Okay? We went to any anywhere in the, in the state of New York, uh, you know, the city, the city champions went and played anywhere uh, in the in the state of New York. We coming back with all the hardware. Okay, nobody's beating mm -hmm. us. So the city is the, 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 the city champion is, is essentially the state champion. I'm not there. All my guys and friends of mine are saying, "Oh my God, Ricky's not there." Blah 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 blah. blah. You know, you know, we ain't gonna win nothing. They wind up winning championship. They wind up beating the great boys high basketball team. Now I'm gonna throw a name at you. You may you may or may not heard of these guys. On boys high that year, the two star players was a guy by the name of Ernest Douse. Ernest Douse wound up going to Long Beach State. Uh, the other star player who was uh, he was player of the year. There's a gentleman who happened to be one of my best friends, a guy by the name of Pete Davis. He wound up going to Michigan State. Okay. Boys High is in Brooklyn. I don't care what anybody says. Brooklyn has always had the best players in the city. I'm talking Connie Hawkins. Oh, yeah. I'm talking Roger Brown. I'm talking World Be Free. I'm talking Larry Fogle. Uh, you know, on and on and on. Now, one of the best moves that I made, which is atypical from any other player in, in perhaps the history of basketball during that period of time, like I said, most players did not go outside their fishbowl. Right. Okay? I went, you know, looking for pelt. Okay. So I used to, when I was 16, mind you, I'm not playing high school. I go to Brooklyn and now I'm playing on teams. I'm, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one of our teams. I was just talking about this with a very good friend of mine the other day. Me, I'm I'm the outlier. Okay, me, Lloyd, world be free. Oh my God, that's a team already. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you had to say. Really. Fly Williams. Oh man. Larry Fogle. Larry Fogle. Larry Fogle was considered better than all of us. Six five man child. Okay. He wound up going to Rhode Island, uh, transferred out of New York High School, went to Detroit, made his bones in Detroit, and then wound up going to school. Anyway. So and, and there's other guys I, I can't remember, but they were all, um, listen, we would beat teams by 200 points. So another uh, uh, historical deal, like I was talking about my friend, I was talking with my friend about this other day. I would go, when I would go to Brooklyn and play with these guys, they didn't want me there. They didn't respect me. Okay. 
So now I've got more of an incentive to prove myself to them and that I belong, okay? That this coach that brought me from the Bronx to Brooklyn, that was no mistake. I could play, fellas. So we played in a, a, a tournament. We destroyed the competition. Here comes the, the trophy ceremony. Now, when they showed the trophies, the trophies were three foot. The MVP trophy was four foot. We took first place in the tournament, so we got a three footer. Now they go to call for the MVP. And the MVP is Ricky Sobers. Nice. Listen, them guys, they looked at me, they said, how'd this happen? <laughs> how the hell did this happen, man? This guy's an outlier. He ain't from Brooklyn. He ain't one of us. So here I am traveling home on the train with a three-foot, four-foot trophy that I got to explain to the patrons on the train. People are asking me, golly, what the heck did you get this trophy, bro? It's beautiful. <laughs> so, so these are the experiences that, that made me who I am. If I don't go to Brooklyn and test my skills against the great and the, listen, world be free. Yeah. Come on, man. That's a what name that's that? not brought up enough, by the way. No, I totally agree. Listen, man, you sort of saw him in high school. Oh my God. Was he good? I mean, the, all the guys from Brooklyn, man, were tremendous players. They were they were professionals at that time, man. But yeah, it's a special era. Very era. special era. So that that's the high school deal and stuff, you know. I I I you know that's it in a nutshell, man. You know, you got you got the scoop. <laughs> well, we love you, it. We appreciate you got, that. You got the first print of of my book, which will be named <laughs> because. And this is this is very cool. I'm naming the book "The Ghost of the South Bronx." Nice, good title. The reason why I'm calling it "The Ghost" is I came out of nowhere. I appeared out of nowhere. I'm scary. If you got to play against me, because I'm a defender. Okay, guys so don't like to be bumped. So I got a question for you because I'm really curious about this. Yes. So you don't play high school basketball whatsoever, right? Yes. But but you, I mean, you know, Tiny's basically your mentor, you know, so it's like you got a better education, you know, basketball-wise than you would have gotten in high school. Yes. My question to you is how do you get to Southern Idaho, which is a complete culture shock, and then how – are you getting offers to play at schools even though you didn't play in high school? Like, what how does that work? Was, what, what happened was, you know, Tiny, you know, was a few years older than me, and he was he was about to turn pro. He had an agent, okay? I became friendly with the agent, okay? You know, you, you know how these guys operate, you know. Oh, yeah. So, so I'm in the pipeline, okay? They got their eyes on me. 
and um, and so they they come to help. So they get me in a junior college. They get they get me they get me in in the College of Southern Idaho, and it was absolutely one of the saving graces and the best moves that happened to me, culture shock and all. Um, because I met a man who, who was my coach by the name of Jerry Hale, who was an outstanding person, an outstanding coach. And he took me and all our guys under the wing, and he became, a, for me, a third father. Okay? A, a tremendous man, tremendous man. Left the junior college uh, um, a few years after I graduated from there and wound up going to All Roberts and coached at All Roberts. Um, and as the story goes with him is, and to, to, to illustrate the integrity of this man, he went to All Roberts. They wanted him to cheat to build a program. Okay, because it does happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we see it with Sean Miller in Arizona. <laughs> you know, it does go on. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. <laughs> so, so, but he gets all rabbits. They want him to cheat to build the program. He says, I'm, that's not me. That's not a part of who I am. I'm a man of integrity. If I can't build a program my way, you know, I'm gone. And he quit. Okay. And I'm talking about, this is a man that, you know, is very tight with Dean Smith. His son wound up going to University of North Carolina, played with Jordan. Okay. Um, he was very tight with Eddie Sutton. Okay. Oh, yeah. Kentucky, Eddie Sutton used to coach the College of Southern Idaho before Jerry Hale got there. There was an there was a Oklahoma influence. Jerry Hale was from Oklahoma. I think Eddie Sutton was from Oklahoma, or he passed through there. I know he went back to Oklahoma State to coach Oklahoma State after Kentucky let him go. So I'm, I'm I, 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 I believe that he was from Oklahoma, all from that Hank Iba age, you know, that, that lineage there. Okay. So, so anyway, um, the junior college, man, was, was the best deal, man. We had monster teams. We went to two years that I spent there. We went to nat nationals at Hutchison, Kansas. Big deal. You yeah. get the Hutch. It's a big deal, man. You know, it's like NBA championship, man, of, of junior college, man. And, uh, you know, we, we wound up, uh, my first year, we wound up placing, uh, I think we were eighth or ninth. You know, we lost a game in there somewhere and stuff and, and you know, wound up being eighth place in the entire JUCO deal. My second year, which was, you know, my, my All-American year, 
And I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, I, I just pulled out some memorabilia, man. I pulled out the, the, all, the All-American team, the 1973 National Junior College All-American team. I'm going to read nice. this off to you. Nice. Okay? Um, um, well, first team was a guy by the name of Mel, uh, uh, was Mel Weldon, Charles Russell, Perry Hines, Larry Warren, uh, Dennis Schaefer, and another guy by the name of Rudy Jackson. Just to let you know, Rudy Jackson was from New York and, and wound up signing with the Knicks after junior college. I don't even think he went to a major college. That didn't happen very often back then. Didn't happen at all. But Rudy was 6'9", a flyer, but was, I'm trying to think who, who he's like. He's like, he was like Dennis Rodman with an offensive game. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Second team, James McElroy. Okay. Um, George uh, Panel, Dave Davis, Ted Jones, Ricky Sobers. Second team. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> James McElroy made it to the league. Uh, Phil Spence made it to the league. They were at top JUCOs. Third team, Will Collins, Lionel Hollins. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Sonny Parker. Sonny Parker is, what's the kid, man, that went to Duke, man? Jabari Parker, yeah. Jabari Parker, that's his son. Yeah. Sonny Parker is his father. Okay. Dave Green, Dickie Kelly. And another cat that's a New York guy, one of my best friends, Jackie Knowles and stuff. And listen, you know, we got one, two, three, four, five guys out of the three All-American teams, man, that made it to the league. That's incredible. You know, two of us, you know, Lionel and I, you know, we wound up, we played against each other during juco he went to dixie college and i was at college of southern idaho and we were we had them home and home so yeah lionel jumped he jumped center yeah he beat my dad in the high school state championship game so my dad got a little taste of lionel for sure so yeah, he told yeah. me all about lionel hollands <laughs> yeah tremendous player tremendous player good 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 friend of mine and a current coach at uh at uh with the lakers I think he's. I think he's still with the Lakers. Yeah. So 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 yeah. So my junior college story. Remember, listen. My junior college. Listen. If it wasn't you know for Tiny, I wouldn't have got that opportunity. Yeah. And I'd be just another guy in the in the wasteland of 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 talented players that never got a shot. You know. So I tell people all the time, right place, right time, right attitude. You know. All those things gotta got have to merge, right? And and they did and they did for sure. And and we would be in trouble if we didn't ask this question. Yeah. How do uh, how does Tark get to you? Because he recruit. He was one of you. You were one of his first big recruits, right? From from what I what I understand. And uh, what was it like playing for Tark? I got to meet Tark many moons ago. He was friends with my uncle and. Uh, I met him in uh, McCarran Airport, like in the it, like in the height of UNLV 
like uh god it was 90 91 maybe i met him at like two in the morning in the airport right and uh my uncle's like you want to meet tark and i'm like uh yeah okay sure <laughs> right i was just flying a red eye from new jersey to to unlv or no you know vegas and uh Super cool guy. So I, I want to hear about Tark because everything we hear from him, like we had Chris Heron on and he spoke just volumes about Tark. So tell us about Tark and and uh, what that era was like for you playing for you on All right. Well, number one, you know, Tark was a great coach. Okay. Um, you know, um, you know, there is a, a, a lineage of, of, of folks in this game and we're all connected, right? So Tark was recruiting me out of junior college. You know, he, he, he was at Long Beach State, okay? Had great teams there. So now here comes UNLV recruiting him to become the coach, become the new coach of UNLV. So my letters, I got, you know, first my letters were coming from Long Beach. They stopped coming from Long Beach. Then they started coming from UNLV. I knew nothing about Nevada, knew nothing about, you know, anything. I'm just happy I made All-American and now I got a chance to go to college, right? And I got, and, and it's my choice where I go, okay? Okay? So, so. I know that I have to pick a quality person and a quality coach because I had those experiences in my high school. Okay. So I go, I have a bad coach, high school level. Now I go to junior college. I got a great coach, but I know what that looks like. I got to pick a great coach. So just like Tark was analyzing me, I'm analyzing him. I'm analyzing him too. Does he measure up to my standards? Okay. Because I've got aspirations. Okay. I got professional. I got, I've been playing against pros since I've been 15 years old. And I got guys, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking to aspire to do what, to accomplish what they've accomplished. And you, know you, and you know you can do it. You know yeah. you can do it. I won't be the next great one. Yes. Right. So 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 um, so anyway, um, you know that's that's you know basically what happened. I don't want to hog up your time. No, <laughs> no. Like I said, we want to hear about Tark because we hear nothing but great things about him right. and what he did. All right. So so Tark. All right. So here's what happened. Tark. Tark. Tark never saw me play. Back then in those days, you know, they had they had you know film, but no videotape, right? 1973. Videotape didn't come out to 76. Right. So so he can only go by talking to coaches and people who have seen me play. He never came to see me play, never saw me play, went completely on my reputation and his conversations with folks in new york my head coach my head coach didn't want me to go play for him because you know he had this tainted image <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, 
my junior college coach said, ah, you going to play for him? I said, yeah, I'm going to play for him. You know, I like Vegas. You know, I don't care about him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so talk, you know, to talk, you know, I get these scholarship offers and stuff. And one of the things that was happening because he had this tainted image and the whole, you know, movement from Long Beach to, to uh, UNLV, you know, the NCAA garçons were following him and they wanted to nail him. And so there were rumors that we, UNLV, was going to go on probation. So I never signed a letter of intent to go to UNLV. That's another, you know, nugget. Okay. Because if I sign a letter of intent, I'm locked in. If we go on probation, now there's my junior year going. Right, right. Okay. So I got no out. So I didn't sign a letter of intent. I said, as soon as I find out that, uh, that we're not going on probation, you know, I'll be there first day, just have everything ready for me so I can enroll. And then, you know, that's when you'll know I'll, I'll, I'll you know, be part of your program. And that's what happened. Right? Wow. So he recruited two junior college All-Americans, another guy by the name of uh, uh, Lawrence Williams that he had stashed at uh, Scottsdale Community College, 6'5 player, great shooter, what have you and stuff. And then he had, uh, we had two incumbent All-Americans, both great players, guy by the name of Jimmy Baker uh, was the MVP in Sonny Baccaro's uh, Dapper Dan tournament back in the day. And uh, another guy by the name of Bobby Florence, who came out of Iowa, of all places, man, kind of a 6'4", jumping jack that, you know, couldn't couldn't shoot a lick, man. But when you looked up at his box score, man, he had 25. Phenomenal, phenomenal scorer. Uh, get to the free throw line, man, and, 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 you know, he could shoot free throws and never missed, okay? Uh, so we had two incumbent All-Americans. We had two junior college All-Americans in, and then Tark recruited four high school All-Americans, Jackie Robinson uh, uh, out of uh, Inglewood, California. Um, uh, Eddie Owens came out of Wheatley High School in, in, uh, in Houston, Texas. Um, another guy by the name of Lewis Brown, 6'10 senator, came out of Verbin Day, which was a hotbed of, uh, of uh, basketball players in the L.A. area. And then another cat by the name of G. Kelly, who came out of, uh, came out of Pittsburgh, uh, same school as uh, Maurice Lucas. I can't remember the name of the school, but, you know, they were, they were uh, a, a prominent um, basketball high school and, and during that time. Anyway, so we had eight All-Americans, okay? Not enough balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Too many cooks in the kitchen, no, right? Not, not enough balls. So we, um, so we have a good year. Won twenty one games. Should have been invited to the NIT. Didn't get invited because the NCAA didn't want to give you know the old man any credit. Okay, they didn't. They, they didn't like him. You know, and and they wanted to. You know, they didn't want to encourage his behavior. And so we did not get an NCAA bid, wow. right? So at this point in time, I'm saying I got my, my friends that are getting drafted. One of my best friends is a gentleman by the name of Tom Henderson. 
Tom Henderson went to my high school, was a year ahead of me. Uh, we, we never played together. Went to the University of Hawaii, got an invitation to the Olympic team and wound up being the starting point guard for the 72 Olympic team that lost to the Russians. Oh, they, wow. They had a monster team. He, you know, he and Doug Collins was in the backcourt together. Okay. So, um, so, 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 um, so you're, see. you're thinking, you're thinking draft. I'm thinking draft, man. I'm ready to come out. I'm ready to come out. I talk to my guys and say, well, you know, second round, you know, maybe second round. No, I can't be second round. Tiny's <laughs> first round. Tom Henderson's first round. Ron Behagan's first round. All my guys are first round. I'm going to be a first rounder. So I come back. I go to talk. Okay. So talk. You know, you got to get rid of these crazy guys, man. I want a team before and stuff, man. We can't. Have <laughs> you know, we, you know, this is not, you know, you saw what happened last, last year. We got guys fighting one another in practice. We, we, we cannot have that. That's not conducive to winning big. So here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Okay. If you're into it now, no kid talks to a coach like this. I was going to say, this is your yeah. New York coming out of you. Because <laughs> <laughs> here it is. This is my last year. I don't want talk screwing it up. I don't want players on the team screwing it up. And I'm saying all you guys are going to fall in line. Okay? All of you. And so I go to talk. To talk. Here's the deal. Okay. I understand who we got on this team. Okay. I can manage them. What I need from you is I need to know that you're going to back me 100% in this endeavor. Okay. I want to be your all American candidate. I want to be the captain of the team. And I want all these guys know that I'm the head honcho in this joint. He looked at me. I looked at him eye to eye. He says, you got it, Ricky. Wow. You huh. got it. Okay. And I said, we got a deal, coach. We going to roll. We go 24 and 5. Now, I got to step back a little bit on this one before I go forward. So now the summer before my senior year is here, I had not been hanging out with Mr. Page because I'm playing, you know, junior college, which is, you know, formal, you know, organized ball. He's got other protégés he's working with. By the way, one of them was Rod Strickland. Oh, nice. And uh, Jamal Mashburn. Felipe Lopez. Oh, wow. Big names. Yeah, we're all about them all the time on the show. So I go back to him. I say, Paige, tell me what I got to do. He said, for what? I said, to be a pro. They telling me last, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a second rounder. 
Maybe. And I'm as good as Tommy Henderson. I'm as good as these guys. I'm as good as that. Listen, you know, I ain't going second round. I'm a first rounder. I'm a high pick. Okay. And I, I need, I need to figure out what I'm missing. So at that time, man, I go about, I'm 6'3". I'm about 215. Never lifted a, a weight in, in my life, but I'm, you know, I'm a man child, strength-wise. He looks at me, he says, well, let me just tell you, you know, you want to hear the truth? Oh, man, we know each other forever. You're fat. <laughs> Your ball hand, your ball handling is sloppy. I saw your games this year, okay. And if I was, you know, if I was drafting you, I put you in the fourth round. Oh wow! Damn. <laughs> <laughs> thought you, I thought you was my second father, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had you on a pedestal, man. Up until then. Yeah, he moved down on the father list. He was four <laughs> or five at that point. He says, if you want to, if you want to get there and be the best, best, meet me here tomorrow morning. We're gonna run the stairs. Now, there's a there's a staircase that seems like it ran to heaven. <laughs> That's behind Yankee Stadium, which he lived nearby, and I lived nearby. Like I said, I five blocks away from Yankee Stadium. He was actually closer. I said, no, Mr. Page, not the staircase. No. <laughs> no. Don't yeah. do anything. No one wants to hear stairs. No one wants to hear that. Hated stairs, man. Hated stairs, hated tracks. Yeah. You know, put a ball in my hand, let me run around the court forever and stuff. That's how I'm going to get in shape. Right. He says, okay, you don't want to run the stairs? Then here's what we're going to do. I came up with some new stuff because he was like a tinkerer. He's like the mad scientist of basketball. He came up with a crude device that was a, a plastic rope with two cutout hoses on the end. They were like handles. Oh, wow. And it, he put me, he, we used those as isometric exercises he designed the exercises gave me this device that he created wow and i used that i went from 215 to 195 wow okay i dropped 20 pounds now i'm flash with a dash <laughs> kicking a s a S S everywhere I go. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Mentally, yeah. physically, spiritually. I go into my senior year. Guys see me. They see I lost weight. My teammates. Okay. And I had two guys specifically, Jackie Robinson and and, and Robert Smith. Okay. Jackie was a sophomore that year, my senior year. Robert was coming in as a junior. No, he's coming in as a sophomore also. Transferred from Arizona West. So 
I'm off to myself. I go to the gym. I got my routine. Mr. Page got me programmed. Okay. I'm not even practicing with those guys. I don't want to see them because I'm in the zone, fellas. I don't care what y'all do. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. These guys, they see my workouts. I'm I'm jumping rope. I'm doing 200 doubles. You know what doubles in with jump rope is? Oh yeah, the two swoops. Yeah. Two swoops. Yeah. I'm I'm doing two each set that I do, 200. Wow. Okay. Isometrics. I got because I got the tool. Paige gave me the gift, gave me the tools to take with me. I'm I'm still doing I'm programmed. These guys see me and they say to me, Can we work out with you? <laughs> sure. Come on, man. Let's do it. Because I ain't playing around. You ain't screwing my senior year. And I'm not screwing my senior up here. So don't come here wasting my time. If you're not serious, go home. Yeah. I taught those guys how to play. Yeah. Really and, cool. and, you know, a lot of leaders lead by example. That's one thing that I try to tell my kids, you know, who might not be vocal leaders. I'm like, you can lead by example. And that's a perfect example of that. They see your work ethic and they follow. It's contagious. And, I mean, it showed because you guys went to the tournament. You guys had a lot of success that year. And I got to ask, because you get drafted after that season, and, you know, I want to ask, what was your welcome to the league moment? Like, when you got to the league, who was that first guy that, you know, really kicked your butt to where you're thinking, wow, I'm in the NBA? Or did you even have that moment since you're such a great defender? I did. I did. Um, and actually, ironically, it was my mentor. He, Tiny? Tiny got you? We played him in, in Phoenix, okay? Now, mind you, I, I, this might have been the year or the year after he led the league in scoring and assists. I'm the only one that's not scared, not scared to play against because I played against him every day as a kid. Okay, so where's Tiny at? I want Tiny. Okay, <laughs> don't worry about it. You guys, you don't, don't be scared. I got it. Okay, so we go to the jump ball and we're lining up, and Tiny and I are shoulder to shoulder waiting for the tip so i whispered to tiny and i got a nickname for him you know so i call him by his nickname and he doesn't respond he doesn't acknowledge me right. he says nothing okay i'm the enemy and that's when i I got indoctrinated because here I'm happy. I made it. I made it. I'm playing. I'm playing against my mentor. He's right next to me. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're going to have fun and show him New York City basketball. <laughs> He's, he didn't say a word to me. Wow. He let me know right then and there that this is all business, buddy. Yeah. All, I don't care if I taught you what I taught you, all business. And, and he had pretty much his way with me, although I made him, because I know him so well, it, had he played against anybody else, he would have had 40. So he gave me 25 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We love those Welcome to the League moment stories. We actually had your teammate Tom Van Arsdale on, and he had a pretty funny one about Hal Greer 
Uh, so we love hearing those stories, especially from your era. It was a really special era. And I wanted to ask about that seven-game series that you guys had, the historic ones against the Golden State Warriors. I know that you and Rick Barry had some intense moments. And, I mean, can you just give our listeners an idea of what it's like to play in a seven-game series like that, maybe from just preparing for the matchups every night or just guarding the same guy every single night? And just, uh, you know, some of the tensions that might happen in a seven-game seven series. Like, can you give our listeners an idea of the intensity, the preparation, and just the mentality that you have to have to win a seven-game series like that? Well, well, there's a lead-up to that because we go 42-40. and 40, We were projected to be fifth in the division, which is last, okay? Um, and we're heading that way midway, midway in the season – you know, I'm playing about 18 minutes a game. Alvin is the star. Paul Westfall is the star. They, you know, they, and Alvin was being, you know, um, promoted as the rookie of the year. Okay. I was coming off the bench, you know, sparingly. Okay. So, um, but, and with 13 and 23 going into the halfway mark. Okay. We got no shot. Right. At playoffs. So, what happened was uh, Dick Van, Tom's brother, Dick Van Osdell, was on that team. He breaks his arm. So they're forced to put me in the starting lineup along with Paul Westfall. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I don't miss the beat. I step in. My defense is holding up. I'm guarding Paul's man and mine. Okay. And we roll. We roll. We get to, I, you know, you, you calculate the numbers. We were 13 and 23 at the halfway mark. We wound up 42 and, and, and 40. Okay. Just barely over 500. Yeah. We wound up playing against Seattle as our first round opponent. Fred Brown, DJ. Uh, was DJ there? Yeah, DJ was there. That was DJ, athletic DJ, too. Yeah, DJ, DJ was there. <laughs> DJ was there. Yeah, because DJ came out early. Um, Slick Watts, but Slick Watts and, and, uh, and Fred Brown was the starting backcourt. Gus Williams hadn't got there yet. So they haven't had that great team that they put together. So, so, uh, so we wound up playing again. We beat them 4-2. They're going. Now we play um, from there. Uh, yeah, then we go to then we go to Golden State. Okay, Golden State is the reigning champion. Yeah. Okay, they're the reigning champion. You know, the sports books. You know, we would we were twenty point underdogs every game. Rick Barry is, a, is an MVP candidate. Great player. They got the shot blocker. They got, you know, another great guard there, Phil Smith, who was destroying us every year. And that year, Phil Smith gave us 57. Okay. And I'm talking about nasty. Yeah. Dominating 57. It was like, whoo. (laughs) Scary. Yeah. Phil was a great player and a great friend of mine. Uh, No longer with us. But um, <clears throat> so um, we, you know, we go there and play them first two games. They kill us. 
not even a contest. You know, he probably beat us, you know, uh, uh, 20 points first two games at their place. We come back to, to Phoenix. We eke out two wins. So now it's 2-2. Two, two. Go back to their place. You know, they beat us um, a little closer game, uh, probably, you know, a 10-point spread, right? Now we come back to our place. We eke out another win, right? Now it's 3-3. Three, three. We go back to their place for game seven. Now that's the big fight deal where Rick Barry and I get into a tussle on a rebound, right? You know, he's climbing over my back. There's an old saying, if you don't see a saddle on my back, don't ride me in the NBA. (laughs) Plus, he didn't shut up very much, did he? Nobody (laughs) liked this man at all. Yeah. I think his dog wanted to piss on me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, he he declined to be an autograph, and I was like six. Listen, let me let me listen. I got stories about him, but you know, but Rick and I became we you know we had this fight, but uh, over years, man, we became we became friends and stuff, man. When people thought we you know we hated one another, we didn't hate one another. Rick Barry was climbing my back, and he you know he knows the roles, but the fact that I was a rookie and I shot a little chicken wing at him, you know, and caught him right, he didn't like it, and he wanted to you know he wanted to let the rookie know that. Uh, you know that you know you can't do that to me but he didn't know me he didn't know tiny was my mentor i've been getting my butt kicked by men all my life i'm playing against friends i don't care what you say yeah (laughs) yeah so so they you know they keep us both in the game right and and uh if, if you ever watch that game the second half they booed me every time i touched the ball (laughs) okay so i didn't have a big game but i had i controlled the offense defensively i controlled phil smith and and their guards and you know i made life miserable them my contribution was on the defensive end and then we had garfield hurt and and our other guys that you know basically you know they defended rick but rick felt that after the fight, and this is the story, after the fight, and it wasn't really a fight, we, you know, he took a swing, I ducked and took a swing, and, you know, they came. It's a typical play. basketball fight. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, he, 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 he couldn't beat me. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> but, but, uh, but you know, I would have had to. I would have had the whole NBA mad at me if I had to kick his ass. <laughs> but but uh, but you know, but but what happened was, um, you know, um, uh, they, the story is that Rick, after that little skirmish, he quit on his team. At halftime, he came out there and and chastised all of his players. Nobody came to my defense, you know. You, you know, you allowed this rookie to, you know, to step up on me and stuff, and you know, and you all, you guys, are, you know, y'all, you know, riding my coattails. Well, you know, you can't talk to your teammates like that. You know, they, you know, they said, hey, later for this guy, we gonna play, you know. And he, he, he had like twenty points at halftime. He probably scored five points in the second half. Combination, yeah. his attitude and Garfield Hurd and our defense that, you know, focused on him. 
we controlled him, and we wound up eking out a win. And next thing you know, Phoenix Suns are playing against the mighty Boston Celtics, man, in the championship series. Yeah, and see, you said how you didn't score a whole lot in that game, but, I mean, look at the impact you had. You got in the head of the other team, and you got the crowd, you know, all mad at you. But, I mean, that those are important plays. Those are important plays. And I got to ask about that Celtics series because that is the greatest game ever played. My dad has made me watch that. I can't even tell you how many times. I've, I was – you know, watching the old film when I was a kid. But I want to ask about that game. Um, I mean, can you kind of describe the atmosphere of that game? Because I heard there's no air conditioning in that Boston Garden. I mean, you, how tired were you in those games? I mean, just try to paint a picture of the intensity and the atmosphere of that game if you can. Phenomenal game. Phenomenal game. You know, Somebody would have told me you was going to be playing in the greatest basketball game, you know, in, in the history of NBA finals and stuff. I said, you're bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I don't know if you need to bleep that, but <laughs> anyway. Oh, no, any, anything goes. Anything on goes. Podcast. We're good. Okay, We're good. Cool. cool. I'll be myself then. Um, <laughs> so, so what happened was um, pretty much the same thing with Golden State. We go to Boston, first two games, they destroy us. You know, they're the Boston Celtics. You know, they were run up to, you know, to, to, were they run up there? No, they, they didn't play Golden State the, the previous year. I think they, uh, I think Washington played. But anyhow, you know, they got Havlicek. They got, you know, they got JoJo White. You know, they got Dave Cowens. Oh, yeah. That's three all-stars right there. Okay, the, the, the top 50 guys. Okay, top 50 guys. Yeah. So we come back. They beat us, you know, handily in Boston. We go back to Phoenix, eke out two wins. Come back to Boston for, for, for game five now. Game five, huge crowd. Everybody knows you win game five. That gives you a leg up to the championship, okay, or to winning that, winning that series or winning a series, a seven-game series. Game five is a pivotal game. Boston comes out. I mean, yeah, it's hot in there. You know, they're playing tricks. They got they got the windows broken. Plus, it's June, right? June fourth, yeah, I think June, it was. They got the windows broken, right? Uh, and 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 so you got all this humidity coming in, and then they got the air conditioning going. You know, I mean, you know, and and then you know, I mean, who knows, man, what they have? They they, they know. Albrecht knows all the tricks, all the tricks, oh, yeah. right? They've been doing it forever. Okay, they ain't just by having great players. They know all the tricks. Yeah, plus there's dead spots in that uh, dead in spots that core, in right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, just just uh, you know, just crazy stuff going on. You know, you just say, ah, you know, well, these guys winning this raggedy gym. You yeah. Know? So they come out, man. First quarter, man. They blitz us, man. We're down twenty points, man. Before we can blink. Second quarter comes, you know, we make a little, you know, little run and stuff and make it reasonable. But I don't think, you know, we might have been down 20 points at halftime. Yeah. You come back, eat back in, get to a point where, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's the setup, you know, for the Gar Herd shot and, 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 uh, at the end of uh, the fourth quarter, I believe it was, 
And, um, you know, during the game, there's all kind of stuff, man. They're cheating us, you know, left and right. Left and right. You know, the, the, you got the, you know, you got the situation with the Westfall rule where, um, uh, let's see, uh, um, the, the, the whole issue about timeouts, okay? Yeah. Boston had exhausted all their timeouts, right? They've got they've got the ball at their end court and they're trying to go up. It's a tight situation, okay? They need to get it out. You know, they need to get it into play, okay? Paul Silas calls timeout in front of Richie Powers. Richie Powers turns his head, okay? Richie Powers is the referee. Richie Powers turns his head and doesn't acknowledge the timeout because he knows if, if he acknowledges the timeout, then he's got to call a technical foul, which is going to give us a, a chance to shoot the free throws, then get the ball back. Right. So he turns his head. That's one thing. It's clear. You run the play. You run the game back and see this play. So they, so, so they don't give him the timeout, right? And so um, I'm trying to think what happens from there. Um, so, they, so they get it in play. I can't remember the other sequence of events and stuff. You know, we might have, you know, we, we might have uh, stole a ball and scored or something or other, man. I mean, because it was crazy. It was pandemonium. There were so many outstanding, phenomenal plays to take it to a triple overtime scenario. I played 48 minutes of a 68-minute game. JoJo White, who I was guarding, played 61 minutes. Yeah. JoJo, who I love, God bless his soul, very dear friend of mine, after the game, you watch the game again, you'll see it. You know, the crowd comes onto the court, you know, because Boston is the acknowledged winner. JoJo sits down at half court. I go to JoJo's hand to commend him on a phenomenal series, and I'm honored to play against you. And then I go to pick him up. He pulls me down to him. And he says to me, he says, Ricky, I just got to tell you, man, I don't care what nobody says. You ain't no rookie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ain't no rookie. <laughs> you know, that that game is I, I think it is the greatest game of all time. And one of the plays I wanted to ask you about was the I think it's in double overtime, Paul Westfall calls the timeout. There's a second left in the backcourt, and he has the train of thought to call a timeout, which would give you guys a technical because you're down one and then Boston shoots a free throw, but so Boston gets a free throw, but you get the ball at half court instead of in the back court, and right. it allows Zar yeah. Heard to take that shot. So is that something that you guys have like talked about in the past, no. or is that just the no. heroics? And just that was the... that was Paul's genius. Yeah, that's why I call it the Westfall rule. Yeah, the rule changed uh, after this after this play. Westy knew the rule book. Yeah, Westy was a gamer. He was a real gamer. Yeah, so, guy. so that was yeah. never talked about ever. We we never was not a part of strategy. You know, nobody knew the rule but him. Wow, because he read the, he read you know physically read and understood the rule book. He was that kind of guy, 
And, you know, so it didn't surprise me that he got into coaching, right? And yeah. was a good coach. Uh, but that's what happened was that, you know, and I think previously, remember, Boston had that situation with Richie Powers and, and Paul Silas when they didn't have any timeouts. And, 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 and so, um, like I said, had Richie Powers acknowledged Paul Silas's timeout, they didn't have any timeouts. So they would have been assessed a technical foul, which would have given us the opportunity to shoot free throws. We would have won the game. If I recall yeah. correctly, we was in a position to win because we would have had free throws where would have put us up or in a controlling position. Then we yeah. have the ball. So now we got a chance to score again or run out the clock. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but we that would have put us in control. Yeah. And that would have well, changed that would have changed everything. Would change I mean, the dynamics would, of everything. The, the outcome of history from that game would have been completely changed. I'd have a big old fat ring on my finger right now. <laughs> how uh how hard was it after that game? Like when you play a game like that? How how I mean that's just got to be – how do you recover from something like that? You know you what don't. I mean? You don't. You, you don't. It bugs me to this day just talking to you about it right now. Yeah. I, I, I you know, you know, I, you know, there's, everybody knows that watch that series. They know that we were 1976 world champions. The league did not want us to win because we were a, 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 a we were not the Boston Celtics. Yeah, Boston right. Celtics were the Dolans of the league. You know, they they great team, take nothing away from them, but we gave them a handful. And and they had to cheat us to beat us. And that's just what happened. Let me just finish up with the, the Westie deal. So by virtue of what happened earlier with the Paul Silas situation, Richie Powers and timeouts and all of that, you know, it triggered Westy. So when so what happened with us was we got the ball on the inbound, but we got to get the ball to a position where we can score because we need we need a dooski to tie it up. Were no three pointers at that time, so we right. were down to with possession, ninety four feet away from our hoop, with two seconds on the clock. So, Westy knew the rule. We called, we discussed it in the timeout. He was coaching McLeod. Okay who was our coach. So he's diagramming. Listen, if we, if we call a timeout, okay, then we're going to, we're going to be assessed a technical. That's going to give them free throws. Okay. So they get free throws, but we get a chance to advance the ball to half court. Now we got a chance then. So I'm trying to figure out the you know the dynamics of the score, what have you, and stuff, you know. But you know, obviously we were down. 
we needed to get the ball up to the to, to a position. We got the ball, you know, we got 50 feet. Now we set up the play, and that set up the play for the shot heard around the world. Garfield Herds. I call it the moon rock. Man never hit a jump shot in his life. <laughs> he hits a he hits a 50-foot knuckleball. You know, I think he shot it with his knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> I tease him all the time, man. I mean, it's the first jump shot you you ever hit. <laughs> Thank goodness you hit it at this time. Uh, what a great jump shot to hit, though, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, listen, man, he's gone down in history, man. Gone down in history. But that's what happened, you know, basically what happened, man. That, you know, the Westie was brilliant, man. You know, it was a brilliant play. They changed the rule since, man. So it's the Westfall rule. Well, and you see that too, because like you know, he ends up being a coach. Pat Riley was on the Suns' team. He ends up being a coach. I mean, you you know, there's a lot, a lot of smart guys. You know, a lot of in that building, a lot of smart guys for sure. I want to talk to you real quick about uh, getting your number retired at UNLV. What that means to you? How special that was? Um, have you stayed pretty close to the program since you had left? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's as close as I can be. You know, I mean, UNLV is kind of a, and and college colleges are some colleges are funny, you know. And when I say that is, let me give you an example. Oscar Robinson is a top fifty guy. Okay, my hero, greatest great man, great player. The University of Cincinnati didn't retire his jersey, let's see. It's pretty it's recent, like, right? Like six years ago or something? It, it, I mean, it's like 40, 40 years after the man played. Right, yeah. That's insane. You know, they didn't retire. And now they get the you know the bright idea, oh, we got to retire. You know, I mean, I know there was some ulterior motive in there somewhere. They're trying to you know, fundraise or something. You know, so I bring that up to say that universities, I don't know what the deal is, man, but some of these places are cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, there's no way in the world, man, that a place like like the University of Cincinnati, which doesn't have, you know, I mean, until Bob Huggins got back there and revived the program, you know, they didn't have no basketball history other than their history was the O. Right, right, the big O. Okay. And, and 40 years it took them to, you know, for some bright person to figure out, you know, we should retire this man's number. So from so what I what happened with me was, of course, I felt I deserved it. I never campaigned for it. They were retiring other guys that were there after me. And people kept on asking me, when are you going to retire your number? When are you going to retire your number? I don't know. These people are crazy. No, I want to do it. You know, they fired Jerry. Who knows? And so um, I said to myself, I have to be humbled about this experience because if it took them, it took University of Cincinnati, 40 years that to retire the, one of the greatest players ever. Who am I to complain? Who am I to complain? Listen, yeah. I don't care what you people do because 
by not doing it, you're showing how foolish you are. You are not using something that would be a wonderful recruiting tool, particularly if you want to recruit in New York. Great point. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, and, you know, I looked at this stuff and I said, these people are mad. You know, so, you know, listen, I, you know, I don't do crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't associate with crazy people. I don't want to know crazy people. I don't want to, I don't want to do nothing crazy. Yeah. So I stayed out of it. So I got a call. Some genius decided that they were going to nominate me. And then they said, oh, okay, it's time for you to do it. I said, oh, great. Let's get it. You know. And then as soon as I did that, they now they want to rush and do it. <laughs> oh, we got to do this. You know, uh, uh, you know, they didn't ask me when I want to do it. They said, oh, we got to do this on such and such day. They got to be done at this such and such time. Now I'm back on the treadmill. I'm saying, look, I'd like to share this experience with all my loved ones and fans, if I can. I would like to submit an idea to you guys. How about if we make it a weekend affair and we do a charity golf tournament? leading up to the ceremony and we raise money. Do you know these fools turn that idea down? Wow. So I got a little, you know, how would you say, beef with my university and those who came after and those who exploited the great history that we have for their own self-preservation, you know? And that's why since the old man, since Tark got fired, we struggled for 20 some odd years to find a coach to replace him. It's true, yeah. very true. Okay. And the only one that was able, even to this day, to do anything close to Jerry was Kruger. Yeah. He got him to the fight to Sweet 16. Okay. Never had that success. We'll see what his kid does, you know, this year. Uh, you bring up a great point, man, because, uh, you know, I, my grandparents lived in Vegas during the big, big heyday, you know, and I mean, UNLV, it's basketball. I mean, like that city, it's basketball. They don't talk about the football team. You know what I mean? They have professional teams there now, but I mean, that whole, you just saw red and silver everywhere, right? I mean, that was literally, and it was all about the basketball team, you know? So it is a shame because, you know, us, you know, living in Reno, you know, that was always the big rivalry for us. You know, it was like, especially when our basketball team wasn't good, it was like, oh, well, you know, he's coming, you know, every year, you know, you'd see, you know, Augman, Larry Johnson, you know, J.R. Ryder, all these players coming every year, you know, and, and you are right about that. You're absolutely correct. I want to ask you real quick, um, 
I'm so appreciative of all the time you gave us. The stories are amazing. I mean, it's so cool to get that that look in to you know iconic basketball games. Hear your story from going from not even playing a, a lick of high school basketball to playing into the greatest game in the NBA history. It's unbelievable. So what I want to ask you real quick, is there anything that you'd like to add or promote on our podcast before we let you go? I guess I'll just voice opinions. Wait, 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 wait. You got to promote the book. <laughs> well, the, you know, well, I'm working on my book. I'm working on my book. It will be called The Ghost of the South Bronx. And the reason why I decided to, to name it that or title it as such is because I was a player that nobody knew about. I came out of nowhere. Nobody knew me on the high school basketball scene. I was a street ball player who garnered his reputation. playing against older players. And when I played against those high school players that did play high school, I destroyed them. So I came out of nowhere. I was very scary to play against. I was ferocious as a player, very good defensive player, which no offensive player wants to play against, you know, and and um, and uh, I mean that says it all. I mean, I was, well, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to buying it when you put it out there. I mean, just from the stories we got from you, but just from the stories we got that you were generous enough to give us today, I'm excited for it. I'm I'm telling it all from the stupidity of coaches to talk never seeing me play one second and going by. The words of people like Sonny Vaccaro, right? Yeah. Sonny was one is one of my best friends in the world. Sonny, my former agent, got Sonny the job with Nike. Oh wow. Game game changer, Sonny was for sure for basketball. Game changer. Yes. And so, you know, those two things, you know, nowadays I'm I'm in I trade cryptocurrency um, and uh, I'm involved in, uh, I have a travel club. And so, um, you know, those are the things I'm involved with. You know, nowadays as I advance in age, I want to travel. I love cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is something that, that people really need to get wise to. And the reason why people need to get wise to it is because if you if you understand the merits of cryptocurrency and why it was created and it was created because of the mishaps in the financial institutions 2008 um uh uh recession uh mortgage-backed securities and and uh, two, two banks too big to fail and banks having control of our destiny. You know, that's a, what's called a centralized system. 
cryptocurrency is called a decentralized system. So you got centralized finance, which is your um, JP Morgan's, your Bank of America's and what have you, who you have to deal with as middlemen as you do transactions. Right. Cryptocurrency removes the middleman and allows me to do transactions with with whomever without a middleman. And it, you know, it, it, it was designed so that the people have more control over their money. And that's why, you know, and, and you guys can get a hold of me and I'll give you a real education, you know, and and I'll convince you that if you're not in cryptocurrency at this time, I will convince you that cryptocurrency is what you need to be involved in because there is going to be things that happen that are going to be revolutionary. The dollar is used, losing value every day. Digital currency, the dollar's going away. There will be no physical money very soon. Yeah. And one of the things that has expedited this notion is the pandemic because the, the, the COVID virus was being passed along to others by virtue of passing money. That's a great point. Okay? It's a great point. So, so digital currency will eliminate that. We already use digital uh, um, financial electronic transfers of money anyway. You got Zelle, you got Cash App, you've got, you know, you've got Western Union, you know. So digital, you know, uh, transferring of currency has been here since, you know. Oh, 30 years at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's yeah. You're, hit, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, I, I see it coming too. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, and, and, and giving the power more back to the people is super important. I think that's is something that needs to happen more. We need to be more in control of our destinies and not let people like banks and things take advantage of, you know, foreclosing on people's houses and then reselling them and then making profits on top of that and then reselling them when they for, I mean, it's, it's gross what does happen. I'm glad you're on top of that too, man, because, you know, it's, it's it's good to hear you know that your generation is is keyed is keyed into that too because you know you don't want to get passed up on that. I, I we could talk about crypto forever. I mean it's yeah yeah, know, yeah yeah it's nice to see that though it really is. Um, before we let you go, Zach, is there anything you want to add before we let Ricky out of here? Yeah, I just want to say thanks so much. This is an absolute honor. I mean, I just love learning about your era of basketball, and you know, my dad was a huge fan of yours and always talked about you all the time. So I mean, this is pretty surreal for me. So I mean, you really you know, this is a pretty life-changing thing for me. So I really appreciate you and your time. And I talked to Butch Lee on the phone a little bit and he said you were, yeah. you're a big deal back in your high school days. So it's it a joy to learn about. 
It's my guy. And let me let me just let me give myself a plug one more time. Anybody wants to learn about crypto, I can be reached at my email, which is okay. I letter I letter M letter A the word friend word of Ricky at gmail.com. So it reads, I am a friend of Ricky at gmail.com. In addition to that, I am just completing my Facebook page, which will promote my travel club, okay? International travel club, wholesale prices. You can go to Aruba and stay in a five-star resort for two-star prices. Everybody needs to get on this if you like travel. My Facebook page is www.facebook.com backslash friend of Ricky. You go to, you punch that in, that'll take you directly to my Facebook page and you will be hit with information that will blow your mind about travel and crypto. Excellent. Excellent. Mr. Sober, thanks so much for your time today. You're super generous with it. Stay safe out there. Good luck on all your endeavors for sure. Thanks for giving us the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. You guys are fantastic. I'm available to you anytime, man. Call me back. I'd love to do your show. You guys are super. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks so much. You too. Good luck with your show. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Mr. Sobers. Awesome. Yeah, that was an amazing episode. I mean, there's a lot to learn. Good Lord, we could have him on for a weekly guest and just have him like little crypto talk. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he's not he's not wrong, though. Crypto is important. A lot of people who are getting into it. I mean, I've been meaning to get into it, too, just with all the everyday life stuff that I'm going through, you know, the busyness, you know, the coaching, the work. I mean, it's it's tough to get into right away, but it is something on my list. And he's right about, you know, high school coaches. There's a lot of really terrible high school coaches out totally there that are really in it for the wrong reasons. And, you know, I think we just need better teachers and better motivators and be- better mentors. You know, it's really about showing getting kids to love basketball and teach teamwork both on the court and off the court, because if you can at least teach teamwork and teach kids how to work together, they're going to be successful on the court and also off the court in relationships and jobs and friendships, whatever it is, you need teamwork in everything you do. So we need more coaches like that. He's totally right on that. No, I completely agree. My, uh, my freshman high school coach was a complete dickhead and uh, it definitely made me lose some love for the game, but the thing for me was I knew I always loved the game, so I wasn't going to let somebody like that ruin the game for me. But that does happen to a lot of people, and he's, it makes a great point. I mean, you know, for me, just in anything you do, like when I teach music, I always tell people, like, you know, when you're younger, when you're first learning, don't let anybody take that away from you when you get older. Like that, yeah. that, that instant like desire and drive that you have to play an instrument, don't let people take that away from you. And you can take that and put that into anything you do in life, man, whether it's playing sports, whether it's 
collecting baseball cards or football cards or basketball cards, whether it's cars or whatever you're into, man. Like, don't let people take that away and be like, oh, that's stupid or that's this and that, whatever. Like, you know, if it makes you happy, man, like, there's a lot of unhappy people in life. If you get to be happy, don't let people take that away from you, man. You always got to remember that. Um, speaking of that, you know, we're really happy every time that we find out we're charting in places and we're really happy when we see these really cool reviews that we get and just makes us feel like we're doing a good job and, and giving you content you want. So thank you very much to everybody that's listening, everybody that's sharing stuff, reviews, five stars, all that stuff, man. It really means, means the world to us, and it also helps us get great guests like Ricky Sobers today, which was amazing to hear the tiny Archibald stuff. I didn't know that. That was uh, – Oh, man. <laughs> to think that that was your mentor essentially. And, you know, and then like you don't play a single minute in high school and you end up in the NBA – that's another thing that's that blew my mind personally. So hey. all those all those people that are helping us out and just enjoying the show, thanks for letting us know that. We appreciate that. If you're a first time listener, um, if you could help us out and uh, just give us a review or a five star, or tell a friend, or if you got anybody you know that played basketball at a level you know that or has an interesting story about it, you want to get a hold of us, get a hold of us. You know, we're definitely available for that. Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here today? I just want to say a huge thanks to Ricky Sobers. What an honor it was. Loved learning about, you know, all the mentors he had, like Tiny Archibald. That's one of my idols, too. I mean, that was incredible to learn about. Uh, the Joe Hammonds. I mean, if we can get Joe Hammond on this show, that would be mind-blowing to me. I mean, there's just so much great stuff that he shared today. And um, like I said, a life-changing thing. So just huge thanks to him. Big thanks to our listeners. And just peace and love to everyone. Absolutely, man. And uh, like I always say, be good to each other, be good to yourself. Stay safe out there, everybody. It's a crazy, crazy world nowadays. And thanks for listening to the show. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>